in a company like Google, where we do have UX writers and we do have content strategists, the roles can be split depending on different products that you're working on, but it's not always. In our case, a strategist is somebody who's really thinking through the entire flow. They're doing a lot of mapping and mental modeling and really sort of targeting the exact why. And the writers really be developing the how. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast that brought you by UX Writing Hub, which is a website that is all dedicated for UX writers. We have a blog, we have a podcast now, we have a job board, newsletter, and also a course. And today I'm going to speak with a friend of mine. And first of all, I will tell you how I met her. So I was going in the streets of Tel Aviv, enjoying a culinary adventure. I went to a restaurant, The Market, that's the name of the restaurant. And what's special about that restaurant is that you can have different kinds of stews, like Indian or Thai or Moroccan (laughs) stew. So I really like this place. So one day after work, I was working in a startup back then. I was a, a lead UX designer in a startup for musicians. And I was, uh, after a very long day at work, sitting, uh, eating, and enjoying my culinary adventure. And then suddenly, I heard behind me someone that's starting to promote UX writing. And I'm talking here about maybe two years ago or even more. When the Facebook group just started out, so we had maybe 300 people in that group. Now we have almost 7,000 people. And she was promoting uh, UX writing for her friends. She was saying, UX writers are the new product managers. We are in charge of so many things in our organization. And it was very rare (laughs) back then to hear someone talk about UX writing like that, mainly in Israel, because in Israel it wasn't uh, that common to hire a UX writer. So I walked to that person and I was asking her, hey, where do you work as a UX writer? And she told me, I'm working here for Google and I work for Waze, which is a company that was acquired by Google. This is a commute app for drivers. They have many, many different users. And she works as a UX writer there. And I told her, listen, I have this Facebook group for UX writers and there isn't many people over there, but I think we need more people like you. She was like, sure. So she joined the group and since then she's part of the community and we became very good friends. And I I visited her in Google office at some point and she came to one of my workshops and we became really, really good friends. And it all started over S2. Nice, right? Cool. So today (laughs) you're going to listen to me and her chatting a little bit about her process of working as a UX writer in Waze. It was a lot of fun to meet with Ellison Friedenfold as usual. So enjoy and have fun. Hey, how are you, Ellison? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for coming. Tell us a little bit about your background, Ellison. How did you get into UX writing? It's a good question. It's been a long and winding road. But uh, it's actually a pretty natural progression, I think, circling back to my roots. In college, I majored in sociology, concentrated in African-American studies, minored in women's studies, race, class, gender, all day, every day. (laughs) I was really interested in how people think, how they feel, how they react to their environment. I don't think I had any concept of what I was going to do with that, but the studies I loved. And while I was in college, 
I worked for what was then this like baby juice beverage called Fuse. Probably mm-hmm. heard of it now. <laughs> yes, I know about it. Yeah. It, it was nasty before and now it's Fuse tea. So it, it was Fuse tea back when it was created and it was purchased by Coca-Cola back in 2007. And then it's one I don't, I actually haven't followed all of the branding process, you yes. know, after, after that phase. But It was a mess because you had Nesty and you had Fuse Tea and Coca-Cola and Nesty was uh, separated and then they need to acquire Fuse and it was a mess, I remember. Yeah, things get more complex when the big brands get involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was there, I started uh, with them early. I mean, it was, you know, nobody knew about it then. We were kind of trying to figure out this whole taste profiling and branding and how do we talk to people? What do they want? Mm-hmm. It was really like my first entry into consumer marketing and branding. While you were working there, it was under Coca-Cola? No. When I was in it was like 2001, 2002. Coca-Cola bought in 2007, unfortunately, after I left. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I kind of like continued on that path, branding, marketing, content strategy. And then I moved to Israel about eight years ago. And I was thrust into this whole world of tech. Uh, And that in in and of itself was also its own journey. Worked for as a director of product marketing for a small startup. I worked as the head of product marketing and content for a larger startup. Then I got here to Google. I sort of committed back to myself that the user experience and this whole journey, this process was the most interesting, the thing I was most passionate about. So the moving to Israel, it wasn't a career decision. It was just a life decision, right? It was a decision of love. Yeah. <laughs> of love. Yeah. <laughs> love can take us to the other side of the world. I've been there too. You're happy with the fact that you moved to Israel? For me, yeah. I didn't realize then when I started out and was studying that this whole concept of sociology would kind of lead me back to something that I'm really passionate about. I had no idea what I was going to do with it. And now, yeah. you know, one of the things that you see from a lot of UX researchers, writers, designers is a background in sociology, anthropology, so psychology, so psychology, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think it was kind of uh, forced me into a path of finding myself. Good. I'm happy that you figured it out here in Israel. I heard about a lot of people that came to Israel and, and still, you know, searching for, you know, their way. And Israel could be a tough place sometimes. I know that. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> and originally, where are you from in the States? Grew up in New Jersey, went to college in Boston. Cool. What a journey. Our listeners would like to learn more about landing your job at Google as a UX writer. So you told us that you were a director of marketing in a small startup company and then in a bigger startup company. What was their product, for example? The smaller startup was a SaaS platform for social and mobile. And the other was a cross-border payments company. So fintech. Fintech. And then you've noticed that there is a new open position at Waze. So when I first started with the smaller startup, it was called Zibaba. I was leading the marketing. And at that point, you know, small, scrappy startup, kind of everybody's doing a million different jobs. And I realized that the platform itself was really struggling to communicate the story of what we were trying to communicate to partners. Mm-hmm. And so I took it as kind of a side project for myself to say, hold on, okay, something's not working here. I'm not like an expert in this realm, but I'm going to do my best to to try and see where we can start tackling and 
like creating some sort of sense out of what we're doing. It was kind of that passion project that grew and grew and pushed me to explore this new realm. Like a lot of times if you are in marketing or you're a content strategist, like you have some sort of, let's say, background in, in microcopy and in understanding what the flow should be for a user. So it's kind of a natural progression. Though UX writing, it's a slightly different approach. I took a lot of what I had known in creating websites and creating content over the years and then did my best to educate myself. Kind of started there. And then when I moved on to my next role and was managing a team of UX writers, you know, I had a a much better sense of how to create some order and guidelines and and like strategy to the way in which we write. I have a question about it. So what would you say that will be the difference between content strategy and UX writing? That's a tough question, by the way. It is a tough question. I mean, I think that any UX writer should have some strategy behind what they're doing. Sometimes it's just about focusing. Like for instance, you can have somebody who's a really strategic thinker, but not the most amazing wordsmith. And so it depends on the company and depends on how things are set up. Most companies, you're lucky if they have a UX writer, first of all. So if you are a UX writer, you're going to be a strategist as well. In a company like Google, where we do have UX writers and we do have content strategists, the roles can be split depending on different products that you're working on, but it's not always. In our case, a strategist is somebody who's really thinking through the entire flow. They're doing a lot of mapping and mental modeling and really sort of targeting the exact why. And the writers really be developing the how as the creatives. All right. The definition of that position in Google would be content strategy versus UX writer. And in your product team, for example, you have a content strategist that you work with? In our product, we are both content strategists and UX writers. But like I said, I think that any UX writer should also be thinking about strategy. I agree. It would be great if you would tell the listeners what is the product of Waze. Sure. Waze is a navigation app to some, but I think for most of us, it's more than that. It's really a a completely socially built application. For some of you, I didn't know before I came to Waze, for instance, that the Waze map is fully built by the community. Mm -hmm. It's not some really smart developer here, you know, writing all of the roadways. It's literally socially generated information. So the idea I think with Waze is to kind of work together to solve some of the issues of traffic and, and movement and so on. So we're solving that in many ways. We have the Waze app, which is focused specifically for drivers. Right, that's the app that I'm using uh, almost every day. We have Waze Carpool, which is a new app that's focused on commuting. And the concept is to try to reduce sort of the amount of people driving every day, all towards, I guess, the goal of reducing traffic and kind of making movement a little bit easier for all of us. And then we have an ad platform. If If you're driving with Waze, you'll see sometimes ads for different businesses. Right. And we also have our map editor platform, which is where all of our community can go and actually edit and update the map on a real-time basis. Nice. And the product that uh, your team is working on? So we're working on all of them. (laughs) But my focus is more specifically on Waze Carpool. You know, it's a little bit different than working in Waze, which is a more well-defined product and a little bit more clear on who the users are. 
And ways corporal is something that we're trying to figure out. So it's interesting to lead the strategy and figure out what that story is. Right. And the challenge over there is, okay, if I'm going right now from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, for example, so the idea of carpool is for me to take with me to that ride someone that also want to go from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and it could pay me for that, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, the motivations for drivers can be different than riders, but the idea is to reduce traffic, to have a more enjoyable commute, spend time together to be more connected. And how do you tackle this is a huge challenge? I guess it's a very complicated answer, but what is the current challenge that you're working on? It doesn't matter if it's Waze Carpool or any app, realistically. When you are talking about shifting mental models or sort of disrupting an industry, you have to really deeply research user behaviors. I mean, that's sort of our go-to as writers. Most of my time is spent researching, you know, it's spent emotion mapping and trying to get a sense of what people are experiencing throughout the entire process of trying to figure out if they want to carpool, when they do carpool, what are they feeling as they're going through it, really sort of building the story there based on how users experience it is really important. Mm-hmm. The writing comes very much at the end. Right. Uh, so I think that that's, that's the biggest thing that we're working on is, is really understanding deeply what that process is. And uh, what kind of research methods do you have? Are you shadowing your users? Or you have user interviews? We have a team of UX researchers. I'm working with them specifically, and they have uh, many methods in which they use. Which kind of methods do they use? So there's qualitative and quantitative ways to research. If we're talking about qualitative, we're getting a sense for sentiment. We want to know how people might act. There's like research that you would do ahead of time. There's market analysis and getting a sense of who the personas are for your users. We have another team of researchers that do that. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky me. (laughs) Really building the story of who that user is. And then when we're talking about the way that we utilize that research is really mapping out like where are the pain points, um, what are the emotions that somebody might feel at different phases, and then trying to build the product in a way that addresses each of those things. So if we know that the users before putting their credit card might feel a bit of like nervousness, then how do we convey trust and security? How do we convey that this is, you know, a safe thing and so on? So the kind of research that you do depends on the phase that you're in and also what exactly it is that you want to test. I mean, for us as writers, we use our own like specific kinds of user testing. So we might test, if you know of like, for instance, a highlighter test, I might ask somebody to I'll give them two colors, two highlighters, and I'll attach a metric to both of the lighters, like a highlighter saying, okay, if, if it's a positive word, put it in green. And if it's a negative word, put it in red. And then ask them to sort of go through a screen and mark out what they feel when they see certain words and so on. So A single screen or a complete flow? Again, it depends on what you're testing. Typically, I would say a, a flow is, is a little bit easier. If you're talking about maybe an empty state where there's not a whole lot of a flow happening, then you can definitely do a single screen. 
Interesting. I would love to learn more about the relationship that you have with your UX researchers. Um, do you have some kind of idea for a test and you submit it to them or how does it work exactly? Some of the things that we run on our own and some of them we might run as part of a larger test. For instance, we run here uh, monthly something called a speed chat where we have users come in and I don't remember how many minutes you have. I think maybe two or three minutes with a user and you have a specific test that you're running, mm-hmm. like a specific flow or something that you're doing. And it's just like a kind of a quick way to get like a guttural reaction from people about a specific flow that you're working on. This is something that our research team posts every month and it's a good chance for all of us in the team to kind of test out things that we're working on. If I have a project that comes to me and and I say, you know, I'm not really sure how I want to approach this yet. I need to gather information. I might come to my researchers and say, have you done anything here yet? Like, have you done any consumer insights? Or I want people to upload their photos to their profile. What, what kind of blockers might, might I have? What might things could be important here? So it could be just gathering information from them. Mm-hmm. And then there's times where I might just have a hunch about something and I want to know whether my hunch is correct. It's, I don't know, it could be like, for instance, a referral screen. I want to test whether altruistic or selfish kind of language changes the user behavior. And so sometimes that's easily done in an A-B test, but sometimes it's more of a sentiment thing. And I want to involve my researchers to figure out how people feel and get a better sense of like what they're actually experiencing. The approach can change. It really depends on the problem. Got it. You were saying about sometimes testing it in A-B test. So when you do the A-B test, which kind of tools do you use? Or is it kind of an internal tool or something like that? We have an internal tool that's connected to our system. But there are plenty of tools out there. Don't ask me for my opinion because I forget the name of them. <laughs> Although I can follow up. So how does it flow go exactly? Like, is there some kind of a gatekeeper that is deciding when to implement that test? Or you can just implement it by yourself? So I have a tool that is designed for us where I can run tests. It doesn't mean that I just kind of like willy-nilly run tests. I basically when I have an assumption about something or I think that maybe it could be better, I will write out a testing spec with all of my hypotheses and things that I might expect, what would success look like, what kind of jump am I looking for, and so on. And there are certain things that I think that people need to understand with A-B testing that it can be a rabbit hole and it also can be used as a weapon. <laughs> like you need to have a good understanding of the balance between getting clicks and getting numbers and the sentiment that people have, the feelings that they have about your product, because there can be a fine line. We actually had something interesting happen where we, we had three different copy uh, tests that we ran. It was a quantitative test. We were just talking to people about what they might do. And the copy varied in, de- in degrees of severity. And we understood that There was one of these items that um, would have caused users to act the highest, but it was also the one that caused them to feel the worst about the product. And so it's really important to keep that in mind mm-hmm. when you are testing. 
and to be very, very clear about the hypothesis and understand what the drawbacks are if you make changes. Right. It's also really difficult. Maybe for Google, it could be easier to get that data, but many companies can't get that insights of, okay, we have increasing clicks by, by 20%, yeah. but they're not happy because they don't have a huge UX research team that can back up that insights. It's true. It's really, it can be very, very difficult to utilize data if you don't have connections of data in your system. Yes. And you said also about A-B testing, that it could be a rabbit hole. Of course, like a lot of time people say, okay, let's test it. But you can't just test everything. You need to be very specific with the thing that you're going to test. Yeah. It's also like, you know, like a form field, for instance, is not something that you can really test. Like that, that's something you can A-B test. Like you need to have actions associated with copy in order to test it. And, you know, it's often used, I think writers will sometimes say, or PMs in my experience will often say, well, we'll just test it. We'll just test it. And, you know, you have to have a good understanding of where in a system you can actually showcase movement by changing copy. Very cool. I want to know if you are working as a writer with a design tool like Sketch or Figma or Envision? And do you believe that writers should know and understand how to operate those tools? Yes. I've worked with different design tools with different teams. I think it's important to learn whatever tools your design team is using. Right now we use Sketch, for instance. And, you know, as a writer, you don't need to to understand Sketch as a designer. You need to be able to utilize Sketch in order to test out copy in an actual real setting. The way things look on a page versus the way it looks on a screen can totally change. And sometimes just one word can throw things down to a fourth line and you're like, oh my goodness, no, that's not going to work. In my opinion, UX writers are designers. So our medium is words, and it's important to understand how those words look on the page. Is it scannable? Is it concise enough? Is it clear enough? Sometimes just the visual of, if you have three lines of text, let's say, and the size of the different lines of text varies, it might look fine. If it's three lines of text that are almost exactly the same length, it can look very bulky and overwhelming. So it's important to know how that really looks. Right. In order to do it, you need to go into the design tool and see like the amount of characters and how it looks on the screen, not in a Google Docs uh, document. Exactly. You can start in Google Docs, maybe like put some of your thoughts down. I often, I don't write in screens. I create sort of my thoughts and ideas ahead of time and then I start creating the content. But for sure, it's, I think it's really, really important. Whatever design software, kind of work with your designers, whatever that they're using, learn that or the basics of that. Cool. I agree. And this is a topic that many writers today ask me. How, when, where, which kind of tools we should use. So you start saying about how you deliver and how you work with designers. So you go into the design tool. This is one, but also you said that you are... Uh, iterating with ideas in a Google Docs document? Where I work varies. <laughs> the biggest mistake that a writer can make is to get a spec or a flow or however you get your information and to immediately start writing. The same with designers. Exactly. Once you do that, then you are just stuck and you forgetting what the app. When I look at something, I might kind of look at the flow altogether. I try to map out 
some of the key communication areas, things that I think will be really important. Like touch points, right? Yeah. And by the way, this my process changes based on what kind of level I receive a feature or whatever in. So sometimes I start at the beginning with the designer and we really build everything together. Sometimes I come at the very end and okay, I say, all right, let's, let's see where there are communication problems here. Let's see how we can shift design. So that in and of itself changes. I will start to map, kind of map out key areas and, and see where I think there are opportunities, where I think there might be pain points. Maybe there's areas where there's too much information on a page and we need to consider the hierarchy. So just kind of making notes, making notes, making notes, kind of trying to assess what somebody might feel in this area, if this is an opportunity for something more exciting. I'm just note-taking. And then I would probably take those notes and sync back with my designer, sync back with my PM and, you know, do a gut check with them. These are the things that I'm thinking. Do you agree? Do you see it differently? Do you think I'm missing anything? And then that gives you a much better starting point to like really go back and address each one of the things that you were thinking and feeling when you first saw it. And then, so first of all, you are mapping the touch points, figuring out where there is some kind of uh, communication problems. And then you are uh, talking with the PM, the designers, and they help you to understand better how to address these issues. And then you start writing those screens or... Then I would go back to research and I would say, okay, is there any research about this? either from my team or anywhere out there in the world, you know, if I'm whatever kind of flow, there's probably lots of research done. Right. Like downloading uh, another app and seeing how are they addressing those issues, for example. Right. Some of it is doing competitor analysis. What are other people in our industry doing? Because, you know, maybe there are certain mental models that we want to keep in mind or we want to avoid, you know, what kind of language are people used to? If people think about something in, in one way and they're completely used to that, there's not always, you know, a sense in, in rewriting everything and trying to shift the way that they think about it. First is my initial note writing and gut checking and kind of checking back in with PMs, getting a sense of what they think. Then it's really, really involving research in my process, you know, diving in. I don't like to do the research first, usually. I like to get like my gut reaction. Then I do research and then I circle back and I say, well, how has this changed my gut reactions? The research is something that uh, usually it's documented or it's more kind of you just browse around and then check your gut feeling again. Or you actually create some kind of a slides or presentation for yourself so you could address it later on. I'm very lucky in that we have a fantastic research team that is well documented with all of the research that they do and also have the rest of Google research, which is well-documented for us. Mm-hmm. That's a big company. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to work. They have probably a big Google them. Drive. And... It's a big, really big Google <laughs> Drive. You know, before I was at Google, I worked in many other companies where we didn't have that kind of resource. Um, but yeah, it is important to document. I think that that's, it, it's important when you're in user experience to... Um, it's not just for other people and strengthening your argument externally, but it's keeping yourself in check. Right. You know, getting a sense of the things that you found were important and if the solutions that you provide are actually solving 
user needs. Right. Right. Because we want to know also if we've failed, why we've failed, and how we can avoid it in the future. Right. Absolutely. Sometimes I think I have come up with the most genius like solution to something. It's, it's, I've hit the nail on the head. It's perfect. And then user testing happens and I'm like, oh man, they, they didn't get it at all. Not even a little bit. And sometimes the unexpected occurs and the users went to the complete opposite than what you thought. Completely. That's why it's very important to remove your ego as a UX writer. That's a good tip. Because we must acknowledge our failures and the fact that we are not right all the time. Having empathy, putting your ego aside, that's in my opinion what creates talented UXer. Agreed. What would you recommend to someone that just want to get started with UX writing, want to know more about this field? Well, first of all, Yuval has an awesome list of resources. (laughs) (laughs) One, a really easy way to do some exploring is to look at different apps. Go to the app store, download away, go crazy. See what other apps, other industries are doing, how they're talking. What do you like? You know, as you move through an application, what sparks interest or joy um, in your experience? That's always like a good way to see, get a sense of like what's important maybe. Not that everyone is doing it perfectly, but, you know, I think that you have your own gut feeling as a user and and that's important. Right. I would definitely urge people to go to events in their local community, whether it's tech events or um, even content strategy, even if it's not specifically focused around UX, um, you can get a really good sense of understanding personas and emotion mapping, even from really talented marketing people and so on. So try to expand your thinking to all forms of content strategy and so on. I would say also, you know, the biggest thing to dealing with user experience is really understanding what it means to be compassionate and what it means to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. I think that to get yourself in a mindset of providing solutions is to constantly ask why or ask questions of like why something might be of interest to a user try to get yourself out of the mindset of of knowing how it should be done especially uh, the great writers out there will have some of the strongest opinions <laughs> but yeah you know there's a lot of great resources out there Brene Brown is one of my favorite all-time researchers she has written many books. She has done uh, many TED Talks. She talks a lot about shame and empathy and compassion. And She has a Netflix special right now. Other than that, just like go out and, and read. Try to inform yourself. Try to talk to people in the industry. Don't, don't feel fearful to like reach out to somebody in an organization and, and ask them how they got where they did. 100%. And by the way, if people want to reach out to you after this uh, lovely talk, so how would you recommend them to do that? Message me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to chat. LinkedIn. All right. So I'm going to add uh, your link to the show notes as well. Good. That was a uh, great tips. And also, guys, if you're noticing, you know, you use your favorite commute app or you use an app that you use on a daily basis and you figure out that there is an issue. So try to solve it. Maybe try to document your solution a way that you could practice and exercise that craft of finding a problem and trying to 
give some kind of a solution. So thank you very much, Alison. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today for Writers in Tech podcast. I hope you have right now some action items and takeaways that you can implement in your own workflow from this day because you listened the last hour to our podcast. So I would like to thank Ellison for joining me today and I can't wait to speak with her again. If you like this episode, why don't you stay for another one? If you're on Spotify, so just press another episode. We have many other cool ones and I want you to listen to all of them. So I want you to share this podcast with the world or your team or your colleagues so more people could enjoy. So see you next time. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again, and that's all for this week.